0: You're you're, you're, you're listening to the the hottest, the hottest NBA podcast out. Yeah, I said what I said. She's heating up. It's the Heat Check. The Heat Check. Heat Check. With
2: Trista Crick. On this episode of the Heat Check, it's Friday. I got you loaded up for the weekend, baby. You know I'm fired up about something. I'm pretty much waking up in the morning fired up. So let's talk about the Houston Rockets. AKA the Dogs. Eme Udoka's got him playing gritty right now. We got him getting the young players on the come up. And then we have a special interview with Keith Smith from Spotrack. And we also have another good one with James Ham, Sage of Sacramento Kings, the lifelong insiders. He said he was like 200 games below 500 or something in his career with the Sacramento Kings. I think that's what he said. That's nuts. Jam-packed show, baby. Let's get ready for the fucking weekend. Let's get into it, William. Drop that beat that should be. You want to know what I'm fired up about? Let's talk about them. Let's let the world know. I know it's early. I really do. But the Houston Rockets, could they be good? Like, is this a good team? Is this a playoff team? I think it's a playoff team. Let me tell you, I sort of saw it coming, but didn't see it coming big time faith in Eme Yudoka. You know what time it is. One in the uh and one in the ah. Uh, you know what I'm saying? From the looks of things, that's a call back to the the shocker that Eme threw up. From the looks of things, no one else saw it coming. You know what I mean? But this this man Eme Yudoka did it in Boston and he turned those young pups into straight dogs. Turned those golden retriever pommadoodles, those in into straight Rottweilers. In their last four games, the Houston Rockets are 4 0 with an average margin of victory of 21 and a half points. Oh boy! Oh boy! Ime! Ime, you doka, you sly devil! It doesn't matter where you go, you just continue to make teams good. Make moves. He's made a lot of teams who passed on him look like idiots. Let's break it down. According to Brett Usher, Usher, Usher. <laughs> the Rockets are eighth in offensive rating, seventh in defensive rating, fifth in net rating. Daddy's home, home forever. You know what time it is. You know what other teams are top eight in both offense and defense? Philadelphia and Boston. That's who. Wow that's incredible what is going on this is the Houston Rockets we're talking about remember Steven Silas you remember him I don't know if you remember the moments that I remember where they'd put him up on that damn podium and he'd have to say I don't know I don't know why they're so bad it's like I've got the same thing to say every day they just don't listen Them pups are peeing all over the house. Not with Ime Udoka. What were the Houston Rockets like under Steven Silas last year? You would be like that Eric Thomas motivational speech where it was like, compete, compete. Many of you are acting like you are not competing. Act like you're playing basketball. Act like you're playing football. Compete, I need effort. So they add Fred Van, compete. They add Dylan Brooks, villain, the Dylan. And they have set the tone. No soft poo-poo around here. And we slandered those moves, didn't we, boy? Ooh-wee. Yes, they are so overpaid. $40 million for a 6-1 point guard with a bad back. Ew. Dylan the villain as your key rotation plate piece. Ooh. And they're balling out, though. They really are. They're impacting winning, just not in the way that you think they are. For example, in the win against the Los Angeles Lakers, the team that went to the Western Conference Finals last year, you could make minimizing comments all you want about who was in the game and who wasn't, but the truth is LeBron was. And this is a team that went to the Western Conference Finals. They outscored the Lake Show by six points or more every single quarter in a 34-point rout. An embarrassment. A curb stomping like you have never seen before. Arr, woof woof. Dylan Brooks had five points in that game. Fred Van Fleet had Fred Van Compete had nine points. They were a combined plus 46 for the game. What does that tell you? Someone needs to let Cam Thomas know that you can do more on the basketball court to impact winning than just put the basketball inside the hoop. Their defense has been ridiculous. They combined for eight rebounds and 11 assists. Brooks has been all defensive team level since he got to Houston. He's kind of been all defense since he was even in Memphis, even when he played for the Oregon Quack Quack Ducks. And Fred Van Fleet, Fred Van Compete, has been the veteran presence that they have always needed but lacked. He don't play no games either, Fred Van Fleet. He was so mad at Scottie Barnes last year. He's like, get me the fuck out of this place where they eat poutine for breakfast. They are a team that never quits. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how much they're up, how much they're down. They are a team that quit a lot in the third quarter last year. They just let go of the rope. Not with Fred Van Compete on the team, no sir. And guess what? The kids are following suit as a result. They buy in what Ime Udoka has to say. Buy in to what Ime Yudoka is preaching before they fucked up the Kings. Before they embarrassed the Lakers. Jalen Green right now, playing off ball, averaging 20 points per game on 46% shooting and 45% from three. Are you serious? Jabari, I have no confidence, Smith under Steven Silas is now averaging 14 and 7 on 50% from the field and 40% from the three. Yeah. Alperin Shangoon, who many of us didn't know whether he was going to be left out of the rotation. Maybe he's the odd man out because he doesn't play any defense. He manhandled Demonis Sabonis, by the way, another all NBA player, twice. Shangoon is averaging 18, 8, and 6 on 60% from the field. And then we got Uncle Jeff, Uncle Jeff Green. He's another veteran presence. He's making some culture changes in the group. Aaron Holiday played well. Jay Sean Tate looks good. They did lose Amon Thompson to injury. And you thought maybe that would be some sort of a downgrade, but it's not. Cam Whitmore got sent down to the G League, but I don't know why. It doesn't seem to matter either. This team is solid, even if they seem a bit thin. These young boys can run and run and run. You want to talk about a big three? Brooks, Fred Van Fleet, and Shangoon have a net rating of 24.3. That is second in the NBA behind Kawhi. PG and Westbrook, which is kind of crazy, and ahead of Tatum Brown and Porzingis. Woo! What amazes me though is how Ime Udoka continues to motivate the Young Bucks. According to the reports, he reminded Jalen Green that hey, you got passed over last year for this man, Austin Reeves. Austin Reeves got to go to the Philippines where your family is from, and you play on the raspy-ass Team USA select team. You better let that boy know what time it is. Cook that motherfucker. Cook him. Let him know. Team USA was super impressed with Jalen. Called him dynamic, very confident, very impressive, but still left him off that team, didn't he? Still left him off that team. Green has some dog in him as well because he did not forgive and forget that slight. He murdered Reeves. He became the first Rockets player to score 28 points in fewer than 22 minutes since John Block, who is he, had 29 points in 21 minutes for the San Diego Rockets in 1970. Guess what? Guess what? Guess what? Austin Reeves had seven points. Yeah, boy, Eme, big him up. Let him know, is this Rockets team A playoff team or a play in team after finishing last, last, and second to last in three straight years? I wasn't sure. But with Ime Udoka at the helm, if I'm a team like the Grizzlies, I am very worried about getting the boot out of the standings for a team like the Rockets that are coming for that ass every single night. Be worried, Memphis. Be worried.
1: And check out amazing national sales event deals on Camrys, Corollas, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. Offers end April 1st. Toyota, let's go places.
2: Let's move on. It is Friday, and it is time... For the on-the-come-up segment where I break down young players who are on the rise, we are going to start with a player who I liked as a rookie but was not impactful. Why? Because he had Kai Jones on the team with him. That little chucklehead changing his hair color every damn day. Mark Williams from Charlotte. He is currently leading the NBA in field goal percentage at 83%. 83%. That is unreal. It's the highest field goal percentage in NBA history through eight games. That's higher than Wilt the Stilt Chamberlain. So I'd say he's having a pretty good start, wouldn't you? Here's what I like about Mark Williams. He's very quick. Quick like a deer running down the court. He's very strong. Very agile. Has great body control. He can finish around the rim as well as any big. And in my mind, he kind of moves a little like Capella, but finishes around the rim better. And my man... You got to make your free throws, and he does. 75% from the free throw line lets you know that the Hornets at least have a couple of good ones on that roster, and they can play him late in games with no issues, unlike a lot of centers. How impactful has Williams been this year? Well, when he's on the court, the Hornets have a defensive rating of 110.8, and when he's on the bench, the Hornets' defensive rating is... 121.8, 121.8, which is garbage. And worse than garbage, it's the worst in the NBA history. He is off to a great start. He might be emerging as one of the best big men in the league coming soon. Moving on, the next player on the come up is Nas Reed of the Minnesota Timberwolves. You could probably think about Nas Reed like the Tyus Jones of backup centers. Just incredibly impactful valuable. Everyone wants a Nas Reed. Best backup is center probably in the league. He's also becoming quite a folk hero of the Northland, of the Twin Cities, so they say. The Minneapolis Star Tribune just ran an article entitled, Where There's a Nas Reed Cult Following Among Timberwolves Fans. Why? Because he's that damn popular. How much do they love Nas Reed? Well, Chip Scoggins of the Star Tribune wrote that his name is no longer just a name. It's becoming a greeting among Wolves fans, something like a secret handshake. Those who know it, they get it. Fan Jordan Alamot spotted a guy wearing a Wolves shirt at the state fair this summer and he said, Nas Reed, and as he walked by and the man simply replied, yeah, Nas Reed. It's like peace be with you. And also a greeting, Alamot said. It's a religious experience. Naz is now a religious experience. Why are Wolves fans in love with Nas Reed? One off the court, his personality is awesome. Undrafted player, he worked his ass off to get a big contract, kind of like Adam Thielen. Finally, he stayed for less money because he loves Minnesota. Why? Who fucking knows? Any Anybody who loves the snow that much, give them their fucking money. And he doesn't even have to get that many minutes, really, to be impactful. He's playing behind Karl-Anthony Towns and Rudy Gobert. And we were all scratching our head. Why would they need a third center? Now we know. Nas Reed. All of it is built around his on-court play, of course. Centers on his defense. He stretches the floor. He hits threes. You look at this Wolves win over the Celtics, for example. Off the bench, Nas Reed had 14-4-2. Four five for nine from the field. Two for four from three. Jesus Christ, the center making 50% of their threes is ridiculous. That's bemote status. Remember when Carl Anthony Towns was like, I'm the biggest big man, best big man three-point shooter of all time? Whatever he said, It's like that. He's a massive part of the defense. He had two blocks and two steals in 25 minutes. The Wolves just held four straight teams to under 40% from the field and under 30% from three. Remember, the Wolves were terrible on the perimeter last year from three. No team, though, in the NBA has done that in the last nine seasons. Reed. Oh, by the way, two of those opponents were the Celtics and the Nuggets, number one seeds in both conferences when they played. So how about that? So, Nas, not only becoming a Colt hero in Minnesota, he's also a huge reason that the Wolves have such a strong start and such a good defense. Best player off the bench at any position. And if he doesn't get love for sixth man of the year, that is a fucking travesty. Let's move forward. Our final player on the come up is is Matt Ryan. No, not the retired broken quarterback, sir. I'm talking about the 6'6 forward for the New Orleans Pelicans. Undrafted out of Chattanooga, Matt Ryan has played for Boston the L.A. Lakers, and the Wolves before landing this year in New Orleans. So he's been coming off the bench, right? He's in this fill-in role for the Pelicans this year, and they need the help. They are a dumpster fire. I think C.J. McCollum now has a collapsed lung. You've got Jose Alvarado, who's still dealing with some health issues. Zion Williamson is off the team right now for personal reasons. Congratulations, Zion Williamson, just had a baby. Mariah Mills is currently trending. Guess why? Who knows why? There's more players that are injured as well. But guess what? Guess what? Guess what? He's averaging 10, 2, and 1 on 24 minutes, including 13 points a game in his last four. More importantly, though, he's shooting 40% from three, and that's something that the Pelicans desperately need. We know that from deep, they only have a few gunners. Brandon Ingram-ish. They had Jose Alvarado, but he's not been playing. They got Trey Murphy, but he's been a little up and down and injured. But you think about this. The thing about Ryan... Matt Ryan. He's the type of player that almost every team needs when they suffer major injuries, right? All teams of the league, the Pelicans probably need Matt Ryan more than about anyone. Trey Murphy, Nashi Marshall, both out. Now Herb Jones missing games as well. It's been very, very cool to see a fringe player get a chance to play and show why they belong. In some ways, you could say that Matt Ryan kind of reminds me of uh, Max Struess, a wing that can shoot the eyes out of the bucket from deep, shoot the leather off the ball and who doesn't impress you physically at first glance, but he, his 20 points on 6-for-8 shooting from deep against the Pistons, though, was a coming-out party, so put a little respect on the man on the come-up, Matt Ryan.
1: Let Tend Dental make your dream smile a reality. We offer a variety of top-rated treatments, including Invisalign aligners. And for a limited time, Tend is offering $750 off orthodontic treatments. Offer valid through January 31st, so don't wait. Visit hellotend.com sale. That's hellotend.com sale. And book your free consult today. Here's a little appetizer before we get into
2: the main event interview with James Ham. We had the great Keith Smith on from Spotrack on my nightly show, BetMGM Tonight. By the way, I have a betting show that's on Monday through Friday, 7 to 11 Eastern Standard Time. It's a lot of hours, so why don't you come join us? Enjoy, sweat out some bets from all around the association, the NFL, college football, college basketball, and women's hoops. I was joined by my co-hosts, Nick Ashu and Ryan Horvath. Keith, always insightful. So let's get right into it.
3: Keith Smith jumps on with us now. And, uh, you know, you know what? Let's start with your Celtics a little bit. I'm looking at a team right now, Keith, that, God, they look like, if not the best team in the NBA, pretty damn close. But we got the Sixers up four on them, about two minutes to go here in the second quarter. When you watch the Sixers, And you see what's going on, not just tonight, but just just in general for the Sixers team. I don't want to say, like, hey, are they better than what they could have been with James Harden? But it just felt like there was a distraction there. And in some ways, I don't know, maybe he held them back somewhat. Do you see a Sixers team that is maybe, I don't know, has a higher ceiling now, just given the way they're playing without James Harden?
4: I don't know that they have a higher ceiling. But but I do think sometimes, you know, it's addition by subtraction. Mm -hmm. There, There was clearly a major distraction going on. With him, and the way things were going, and the way you know things were headed with with this situation, where getting that out of there, removing that distraction, allowing everybody to just basically take their role and slot in and do what they're going to do that puts them in a great great place you know moving forward now you don't have anybody worrying about all right well when he gets back what's my role going to be when he is not around what you know then what do I have to do now everybody can just play what they're going to play and just move forward with it so I think there's a chance it's addition by subtraction for Philly the, the ceiling that'll ultimately be determined you know, when we get into the playoffs and we'll see, do they have enough offense creation and the like?
2: Well, this question is uh, random, but near and dear to my heart because people are calling me a, a hater on Twitter right now. What is your thoughts on uh, Cam Thomas and how the Nets have basically allowed him to have superstar green light? Right now, he's attempting the most amount of shots in the NBA with the lowest assist ratio. As you can tell, Keith, I'm not super high on building a team or building an offense around him.
4: Yeah, I think the problem for the Nets right now is they just don't have enough offense. It's a lot of Mikhail Bridges and then they need anybody else who can create their own look. Cam Johnson hasn't been there, he's been out. So you gotta uh, you know, figure things out and sort through it for as long as it's gonna take to get him back on the floor. So that that's been, you know, a challenge for sure, uh, for the Nets. So that's going to be a you know a whole thing for them. So for right now, I'm kind of okay with them letting Cam Thomas go. But I think, yeah, you're going to struggle to find yourself in a spot where if Cam Thomas is taking 30 shots a night, you're probably not going to be a very good team unless all of a sudden he develops into the most efficient score in the world because he's not always doing it with the most efficient levels.
3: Keith, it's only a uh, seven-game sample size, but are you a believer in what the Dallas Mavericks are doing here early at 6-1? and one?
4: Yeah, yeah, I I think, you know, what they did really well was they went with shooting and defense around Luka Doncic and Kyrie Irving. And that's, that's a, how you're going to have to win. You know, Grant Williams was one of the best value signings this summer because he'll play defense and he'll make open shots. He, he did that with Boston at a pretty good clip. We saw him do it. Also in, you know, high level important games. So no reason to think he can't still do that with, with Dallas. And then Derek Lively has injected just some energy, some, uh, you know, bounce into that starting group. He's really figuring it out pretty quickly and their, their depth is solid enough they've got enough guys kind of around the two stars that, that they need. So when you build a team like that, you're going to probably have pretty good levels of success. So I, I think it's sustainable. I don't know that it's, you know, one loss every six, seven games sustainable, but I think that you know, they should be a top six team when all is said and done in the Western Conference, which really you should be if you're building the team around Doncic and Irving.
3: Keith, we're looking at the Bucks right now give up almost 117 points a game, which is actually slightly better than where they were earlier in the season when they were 28th in points allowed. Do you look at this and say, ah, it's a team, got some new players on there, Dame's not really a defensive guy, this is going to take some growing pains to figure out everybody's role on both ends of the court, Or do you maybe see a bigger issue in Milwaukee?
4: I think there's that part with, with Damian Lillard and some other new guys that are playing... You know, pretty big roles there in Milwaukee. But I think the other challenge that you have with them right now is you've got the uh the, the Bucks are playing a very different scheme. They have uh you know gone through a period where they're bringing Adrian Griffin's new scheme in and they're putting Brooke Lopez up at the level of the ball. And the challenge with that is that's not taking advantage of what he does well. Even when he was much, much younger, he was not gonna be a hedge hard, hedge high guy and then quick hard recover to his main. He was always going to be someone who was going to be, all right, I need to lay back a little bit. And that's just not taking advantage of what he's done and what the real kind of skills um, are of of him that's made him a defensive player of the year candidate year in and year out. But I'm okay with trying it and trying some new stuff because you're never going to know if it will work unless you give it a shot now. But it's one of those things where I think eventually they'll probably scrap some of that, at least when Lopez is in the game, and go back to what they know works real well for them.
2: Yeah, that's a really good point. what is it time for us to panic about the Sacramento Kings?
4: Yeah, let's see what happens. Uh, you know, how it's twofold How long is darren Fox out for, and what do they look like when he is uh, fully back in the fold? Because that's going to be something they're certainly going to have to figure out. You know, because if if he's there and playing, then you're probably doing you know pretty, pretty well. If, if he's not. Uh, you know, if they're not winning games when he's back, then that's worrisome for them. And in the Western Conference you can't give up too many games. There's too many good teams you're gonna end up in a spot you know we've seen the Grizzlies are kind of in that spot already and you're gonna end up in a spot if you're the Kings where if you look up a month from now and you're five six games already out of the playoff picture you're making your task in the second half of the season really really difficult
3: if you're a Miami fan is there any reason to be concerned at all I mean you're three and four you're the 10th seed in the east but really all you have to do is get into the playing tournament and you're probably guaranteed to go to the finals again for whatever
4: reason <laughs> yeah I mean they did there's some of that right but it's it also, I think, what you saw with Miami, much like with the Lakers in the Western Conference, but definitely with Miami, was they ran out of gas by the time they get to the finals because they had to push so hard, you know, to get all the way there. You know, you don't want to make that path more difficult if you don't have to. But you're also seeing some limitations of a team that. They didn't make the big trade. They didn't build out their roster because it felt like they they spent most of the summer anticipation of making the big trade. So that becomes you know a major thing for the uh, you know Miami Heat of you know are right, you know are they going to have enough? You know we know their top line guys are pretty good, but are they going to have enough to really get you know all the way you know where they need to be? And you you can't just count on every year we're going to get in the playoffs. We're going to make a run from the you know play in tournament deep into the playoffs because that's just not a sustainable thing keith i'm looking
3: at nba most improved player right now tyrese maxey's the favorite plus 225 scotty Barnes is five to one and then cam thomas that we just mentioned obviously seven to one cade's way back at 16 to one it's it's kind of a weird award like you know there's no real it just kind of feels like you have different situations every year when a player wins sometimes a guy could just jump up and be an all-star sometimes it's bigger roles sometimes it's new team whatever the case is does this kind of just feel like as long as tyrese maxey keep keeps pace with just the season that he started to have already this is his award to lose or could you see anybody like a Scotty Barnes a Cam Thomas maybe even a Cade Cunningham jumping up and maybe winning the award
4: yeah I think uh fair or not I think a lot of times team record gets mm-hmm. involved in these kind of uh, awards, too, and that probably really shouldn't be. It should just be based on, you know, what did the guy do? But, like, a guy like Cam Thomas, for example, it's more role. He, he's always kind of been this guy. I don't know that he's any improved. I yeah. think he's just always been a guy who can score buckets if he's given the opportunity, and he's certainly been given it right now. Maxi, I think what you're going to see is, can he keep up the playmaking and keep up the defense? If he can keep up those two things, that's much improved because now He's not simply a scorer. I'll give you another guy, though, who I really think by the end is going to be some, someone that people will be talking about, especially if the team can win a little bit, is Alperen Şengün of the Houston Rockets. Mm. He is playing really, really good basketball. And you can see now when he came into the league, one of the things that a lot of really smart draft people said was, he's not Nikola Jokic, so let's not get it confused. But there's a lot of Nikola Jokic in his game, and you're starting to really see that uh, with Şengün at this point
2: yeah shangun's been really good he he has dominated sabonis those last couple of games uh as well yeah i uh i'm curious your thoughts about some of these rookies right like scoot henderson's been injured but i think maybe he started off a little bit slower than a lot of people expected brandon miller's been kind of up and down Keontae george finally in the starting lineup like who's been the most impressive rookie so far to you outside of wemby (laughs)
4: <laughs> All right. I was going to say, if we're taking him off the table, I mean, I'll, I'll throw Chad Holmgren in that mix too because he is still a rookie the way the league classifies him. So I, I think he's played really, really well and done a lot of good stuff. But, yeah, you you mentioned a, a couple guys who have looked yeah, at times. I think Brandon Miller is starting to figure stuff out a little bit, and he's starting to get a little bit more opportunity with Terry Rogier out. I, I think it's just Charlotte's in such a weird place. They have a lot of guys at that forward spot. We don't know what it will look like when they get back to Miles Bridges in the lineup and when that comes if if it comes you know with his more recent trouble so we'll see what that all looks like but yeah I, I think it's. You know, this is obviously, it's one Banyama's race to lose here, but I think Holmgren has done some stuff for sure. And, and I think Scoot Henderson, I, I know what you're saying, and I've heard a little bit of that where a couple of people have said, yeah, yeah, some, you know, it started off slow. But I think the one thing is that's a really, really hard position in the NBA to adjust to, especially when your coach is a former point guard. The, the, the level of expectation there is quite high. So I'm still very, very high on Scoot Henderson. I think he's going to be a great player. It's just going to take him a little bit to get there.
2: Yeah, could you kind of just give a, a little bit more uh, detail in terms of how difficult it is to step in and be a point guard on a, and have to lead a team as a rookie?
4: Yeah, you're processing a lot right out of the gate. You're running the offense, so not only are you making the calls in transition, Uh, Generally, which especially for Portland, they're playing a lot of up and down games right now. So they're they're looking for him to kind of run those things. The guy he thought was going to be his backcourt running mate, who should have made life easier on a Anthony Simons got hurt right away. So that makes it a little bit more difficult. Then you're trying to process when you do get into the half court, your coach is setting you up and, all right, this is what I want to run. And, you know, let's make sure we get into it. And you're trying to make sure we're on a team with a whole bunch of new faces too, that, you know, all right, let's, uh, You'll know, get everybody on the same page here, and that that makes it hard as well and then defensively. You know, you're, you're kind of the head of the snake there at that position. You're the one stepping out, uh, you know, up there. If you're guarding on ball, you're going to be involved in a lot of on ball actions, a ton of pick and rolls, and you're going to put that guy through quite a bit. So I think Scoot Henderson's, you know, he, he's done well considering all you have to absorb at the point guard position. But there's a reason why, you know, everybody says point guard, you got to give him a year or two to really adjust to the speed. And this is even for a guy who played at a professional level for the last couple of years with the G League. Ignite the
3: NBA is just a whole different ballgame. Keith, I have to ask a uh, selfish question here as a Bulls fan because I knew it was going to be bad, and I know they won their last game, but now they're 3-5, and and they've scored 98.1 points per 100 possessions. They've been outscored by uh, 20.8 per 100, so it hasn't been good. It's been actually worse than I thought. Any chance that they're sellers at the deadline...
4: I would like to say yes. I think the challenge is it's just not what they do. You know, under Jerry Reinsdorf ownership, they've never really bottomed the team out. It's happened a couple times, but it's happened naturally through, all right, just the wheels came off. We had way too many injuries and now here we are, uh, the Derek Rozier, for example. So that's the challenge is, you know, unless they are willing to lean into saying, all right, the best thing is let's trade a bunch of guys, really bottom this thing out and be bad. I just don't know that they're going to go in that direction. And that's unfortunate. Because as the roster mm-hmm. is built right now, they're never going to be better than a team that's battling around the playing line, and that's just you know for my yeah. money, that's not good enough. I, I don't yeah. want to be there yeah. every year. Thanks, Keith. Always good to talk to you, buddy.
2: Thank you to Keith Smith and the whole crew at BetMGM tonight. Let's now welcome James Ham to the show. They call him the Hammer. He is a Sacramento icon. Covered the team for more than a decade, I think 14 years he's been on the beat. He co-hosts the Insiders on ESPN 1320 with my man Kyle Madsen on an Odyssey station. So let's get right back into it. Welcome to the show, James Ham. James Ham is a Sacramento Kings guru, been covering the beat for a long ass time. Insider co-hosts actually the Insiders with my guy, my guy Kyle Madsen on ESPN 1320. Find him on Twitter, James underscore Ham NBA. He is here to tell us what the fuck is happening with the Sacramento Kings.
5: Man, that's a good question, Trista. I, I wish I had all the answers. Uh, first of all, the pace has fallen off a cliff. The last three games, slowest pace in the NBA. They actually posted a pace of like 89 and one of the losses to the Houston Rockets. Uh, De'Aaron Fox is out and they just don't look like themselves without him pushing tempo but that's not an excuse it's okay this is a fast-paced team they should be moving the ball up and down the court it shouldn't be all on davion mitchell to deliver pace but they are searching right now and they definitely did not expect something like this to happen in the first week of the season uh where they went from really high uh with a win opening uh to open against utah a win over the lakers a couple of losses To the Golden State Warriors, and then to just fall on their face against the Houston Rockets twice. They did not expect that.
2: Yeah, you know, the question you mentioned, Davion Mitchell, and you know, I'm a big fan of Davion. I love him. There's, I've got no negative things to say about Davion, but his player comp isn't the same as De'Aaron's. They're not like you can't just substitute Davion into the lineup and it be anywhere close to the same style of offense. The closest player to me on the roster is Malik Monk. Why isn't Malik Monk taking the De'Aaron Fox role and Davion staying in the role that he was in when De'Aaron Fox was running the show?
5: Yeah, I so monk has carved out a different role for himself on this team of course he's a six-man extraordinaire Uh, he's a guy who brings all kinds of energy off the bench that's not who davion is even when he comes off the bench and so to take a guy out of that role would really upset the cart with your second unit as well just think of all the malik monk and uh, javel mcgee like hookups that we've got going on right now these lobs that they have going um that would go away if they weren't playing together so i think monk needs an expanded role I would like to see him play 35 minutes. I'd like to see him come in at the five-minute, six-minute mark of the first quarter and play a huge stretch of the the first and second quarter. But for right now, Mike Brown has been reluctant to put him in the starting lineup. He didn't do it last year. De'Aaron Fox missed nine games last season. And I believe that all but one of those games that uh, Davion Mitchell started. And this team, you know, outside, if we take the one game at the end of the season, there was a total throwaway where uh, Fox didn't play. Uh, this team was four and four without Fox. So they shouldn't have this type of disparity when he walks off the court. And it's something that they're going to have to figure out because it's gotten really, really ugly very quickly here in Sacramento.
2: Why do you think the pace is so bad? Why? And like the offense has fallen off of a cliff.
5: Well, I think if you take Fox off the floor, it does allow oppositions to just stack everything they've got right on Sabonis take away his passing lanes, take away his dribbling lanes, um, take away his ability to to get into the paint and and score for himself. I mean, against the Rockets this last game out, he had four shot attempts, and that's just not going to cut it. You know, this is a very, very high-end player. He's an all-NBA player, and to see him his numbers kind of fall off so quickly is really strange, but I, I think it also has something to do with the fact that the Kings haven't been able to get their shooters going. Keegan Murray and Kevin Herter have struggled to to hit the three ball to open the season. Um, both of them are shooting around 25%, maybe a little bit less for Keegan now. And they just haven't found a rhythm as an offense. They made some subtle changes to this offense during the offseason. And I think it's time to look at those changes and maybe pull those changes out and go straight back to what you were doing before and then just try to build nuance into your offense. And we haven't seen that so far. Uh, I, I really think the offense looks so far different than it did last year. Uh, and it's not just because they're missing shots. It's it's for a lot of reasons. It's not just that.
2: Explain that to me. What are those changes that you can see with your eyes and which ones that are specifically the ones that are not working?
5: Yeah, so the Kings basically have, you know, a system where four guys run to four spots on the floor and then Demontis Sabonis settles in in the high post. And then they, they use those guys to rotate and switch off of each other and set screens for each other. And it feels like they're trying to do way too many back cuts. Like the guys that are usually setting screens for other players, players that they would typically set a screen for in the corner, isn't coming off of that screen and coming back to the top for the DHO. Like we've seen in the past, a lot more cuts or, or resets guys going Either straight to the basket or just going to the other side. And that's one major change. I'd also say, like, teams are just pushing the Kings further and further away from the basket. And so Sabonis might be running the DHO like he did last year, but he's doing it from the three point line. And then when guys are coming off the screen at the top, you know, Kevin Herter is getting quote unquote wide open shots, but they're not 23 six, they're at 27 feet. And that's a big deal. You know, like, they're pushing the whole offense further and further away from the basket. This team was uh, number one in two-point field goal percentage last year. They shot, I think it was 58.3% from from two. They got a lot of easy baskets. This year, they're all the way down, like, number 22. They're 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 shooting, like, 53%. They've lost five or 6% off of their, their two-point field goal percentage. Not to even mention, like, they're number two in three-point attempts, but they're 22 in three-point percentage. So, they're shooting a ton of threes. They're not hitting them. That's a problem. But more than that, they're just not getting easy looks like they were last year. And I don't think the league just magically caught up to them or that they were able to watch game film of a seven game series against Warriors and somebody's got the the magic recipe and they've passed it along to every other team in the league. I don't think that that's the case. I just I just think that they're starting off playing a little clunky, a little different, and uh, they've got some gotta find their soul a little bit here.
2: Do you think Mike Brown, and I, I agree that the Kings didn't play great defense during the regular season. I think we, we all kind of knew that. Yeah. I don't know if that really matters. Honestly, I think they played really good defense against golden state in the first round, which shows what they're capable of. And they had timely defense during the regular season, which, yeah, you lose some games that way you win some games that way, but it shows that you have that ability. It kind of feels to me like there was such this huge emphasis on, on physicality and defense because everyone banged on them for not playing defense or maybe there was just some soul searching internally where we have to be better but it feels like that pendulum has swung so much to that emphasis that getting buckets has now kind of become too less important
5: yeah i mean i i agree with you to to a certain extent i'd also point out that they're not playing good defense right now we No, 20 second even right still.
2: now in defensive rating
5: Yeah. And so what we've seen so far is the emphasis to be physical, to pick up shooters way further out, to um, try to blow up uh, pick and roll situations, you know, sort of charge the pick and roll. That hasn't worked. And, you know, you got guys like Chris Duarte who come in and almost every single time he steps on the court, he's got three fouls. And and it happens so quickly. He gets, he picks up three fouls. And the next thing you know, the Kings are in the penalty. Like I've never seen a, a team be in the penalty so often. Like, they're giving their opposition free throw after free, free throw after free throw. And they're they're really struggling to translate what it means to play defense, uh, physical defense without fouling. They, they are. You can see it. And it's funny because you go out there and you watch the Houston Rockets play, and that's exactly what I saw. I saw physical defense from a young team without fouling. And it's what the Kings will face when they play OKC on Friday. They'll face a team that really plays physical, hard-nosed defense without fouling and sometimes they pick up fouls, but overall, the concept is to play it without fouling. This is not what the Kings have done. Uh, the other, the opponent, I don't know what the, the number is, but I'm going to guess that they're, they're giving up eight free throws, uh, attempts more than they're getting every single night on average. And that's just not going to cut it either. So they've, they've got to figure out a way to translate what Mike Brown is asking for, but also Mike Brown needs to realize that there's something wrong with his offense and he needs to go back to the basics of were there last season. They haven't made enough structural changes or, or replacement pieces uh, in place to actually change what they were doing last year. The only difference is Trey Lyles hasn't played a game this season because of the calf injury and De'Aaron Fox has missed three going on four games. Outside of that, this offense should have been flowing like it was before. And we're seeing a lot of standing around. So the uh, the, emphasis, the emphasis on defense, it very well could be a, a big part of the problem here.
2: I'm very curious about Kevin Herter because he was so good for a lot of last year hit game winners and was the kind of a part of the soul of the fun and the vibe. And he was just atrocious in the playoffs. Uh, It was just like unplayable. And it feels like that has carried over into this season. And I'm not sure if it's a confidence thing. I'm not sure if it's something else. But, like, what the hell is going on with Kavon?
5: Um, he seems to be finding himself a little bit. Uh, I think that Mike Brown really singled him out early in, in training camp. And, I mean, he kept saying, hey, this everyone has to be better at this. Everyone has to be better. But it's, it's Kevin who is losing his spot in the rotation or potentially losing his spot in the rotation or literally had Chris Duarte start for him in a preseason game. And so I think he... uh Mike Brown, maybe overestimated the, the psyche of Kevin Herter. He put a lot of onus on him to be better defensively and to make all these changes, but also like he just became the poster child for everything that was wrong. Um, and I don't think that was Mike's intention. His intention was to say like, look, everybody is, is struggling on these, these issues that we have. Um, but for some reason, you know, Herter was not picking up on the changes quickly enough in training camp. And so I feel like Mike accidentally piled on a little bit and, uh, and then the fans piled on and then Kevin got off to a rough shooting start. And next thing you know, this thing snowballed a little bit. We're seeing him figure it out slowly. The rebound numbers are way up. He's starting to pick up assists, but I mean, we're talking about a team that just lost a a starter who averages 31 points, but also, you know, 23 and a half shots per game in De'Aaron Fox. And instead of replacing those with guys like Kevin Herter or guys like Demona Sabonis getting more shots or, you know, Harrison Barnes, they just don't shoot those 23 shots anymore. They slowed the game down so much that it's almost like they just have a ghost as a fourth player that's not actually on the court. And uh, they're really struggling to find it. And, and I think that Kevin's shooting woes are part of that, uh, but also just like the the transition to him having to play defense at a higher level. Is something you know, Mike Brown pushing buttons? I think it sent him a little off kilter.
2: Are they afraid to be aggressive and and gun? I don't
5: think so. I, we're seeing a lot of weird things that are popping up. So, like as far as like three point shooting, I don't think that they're they're afraid to be aggressive. I mean, we watched all the way through preseason where they're averaging almost fifty threes a game, right? And we get into the regular season, they're doing the same thing again. Like two games ago, they're second in the league in attempts from three point range, and you know they're still. They're still second at 42 and a half percent. It's just, they're not hitting, you know, that's a problem. And so I think, you know, a guy like Herter, um, maybe he got a little gun shy initially, but a guy like Keegan Murray, we're seeing some, uh, I think he might be struggling with expectations. Like we're watching, watching him, uh, Katie Christensen described it as drifting while he's shooting. And I think it's a perfect way to describe what you're seeing. Like he's just not getting his feet set. He's not squaring his hips and his shoulders to the basket. Initially, he's doing all of his adjustments midair and he's missing. I mean, we've seen him airball threes and we're so used to him just being so steady that the last thing he's been is steady throughout the first six games of the season. He's been all over the map. I also think it's just, you know, everyone is trying to adjust to their new roles. Everyone is adjusting to, you know, trying to become like a guy like Keegan, trying to become a third scorer or even a second scorer on a team. And uh, sometimes those things come with some hiccups.
2: Uh, Harrison Barnes also hiccups had that one big game. 33 gets the money and he's right now 9.6 points per game, two point rebounds per game, not counting that, that first game. Like, why do you think he's struggling?
5: Yeah, it's a great question. Um, I I think more than, you know, like his shooting percentages are fine, right? Uh, Up until he had a, like a clunker of a game in the second game against Houston, Uh, He was shooting well over 50% from three problem is he's just not taking any shots. He's not in the flow of the offense and there has to come a point where Harrison has to be part of the solution and not just saying, well, you know, it wasn't really Harrison's fault. It, It, to me, it's really strange because overnight he kind of became Andrew Wiggins as, as a rebounder and as like the rest of the game outside of, you know, the defensive prowess of, of Wiggins. And I don't know if Wiggins is still the defender that he was for that, like one moment in time that we saw him, but right now they're very similar players. Like he, he's not rebounding the ball at all. He's a career five rebounds per game. And he's right around two rebounds per game. Uh, and this started, this dated all the way back to like, it started in February last year, started dropping off to like three, three and a half rebounds per game to finish out the season. And like, there's, there's really not a huge reason for that outside of him just not going and getting rebounds from what I can tell. It's not like someone else started stealing all the rebounds. Sabonis was there the whole time. So, like he's gonna have to make some adjustments here. And he needs to be more vocal. So if you don't have De'Aaron Fox out there and Demonis Sabonis and, and Harrison Barnes combined for 10 shot attempts a- in a blowout loss to the Rockets, and you know, again, they had plenty of time. They even played in the fourth quarter. That's just not acceptable. And there there needs to be some accountability not just for, you know, Davion Mitchell, who who isn't pushing the tempo fast enough, or, you know, JaVale McGee, who's got too many turnovers, or Malik Monk, who came in the game and picked up three fouls and like had to go leave the game and look totally disinterested against the Rockets in the second game, but also for the guys that are out there that are your leaders that, that should have a voice in what's happening.
2: Yeah, I, I'm curious. It feels like you kind of think one Portion of it is obviously the accountability on the players, but a lot of this is just tweaks that maybe shouldn't have been made by Mike Brown.
5: That's possible. Yeah. I mean, you need to be better defensively and and I understand that everyone should understand that, that this team needs to be better defensively, but at the end of the day, it's really about net rating. It's not about offensive rating or defensive rating It's about having a higher net rating and winning games. I think he did put a lot of focus on the defensive end. And I also like, let's be honest. It's not like anyone did him any favors. You know, you went into an off season knowing that you didn't have enough length and athleticism at the wing to play elite defense. You knew you didn't have great defensive players. You came back with virtually the same exact rotation, except for you have JaVale McGee there and and you have Sasha Vazenkov and you have Chris Duarte. But again, these aren't major pieces that are playing, you know, tremendous amounts of minutes. So you're asking the same group of players to do something different than what they've done before. And it worked. yeah. Well, no, it did. But I think that like you expected some organic growth on the defensive end. Yeah. And maybe you're not 24th. Maybe you somehow get to 18th by just adding a couple of small pieces. But I don't think that was enough for Mike. And I think he he wanted to, to take a major jump to get up to, you know, number 12, number 15. And that seems to I, I don't buy that the Kings are tired because they're playing a more physical brand of defense. I don't buy that at all uh, because they're not playing that that great on the defensive end. And I don't see that there's so much exertion on the defensive end that uh, that it should be costing them or their legs should be shot shooting the three ball. But uh, at the same time, I don't understand the, t- the tweaks on the offensive end. And like they're subtle and whatever it was, you know, Mike Brown said, we had this specific play set in our, in our bag last year, but we only used it like three times a game. Now we're gonna use it like 30. And whatever that play set is, And needs to go because it, it, there's something wrong right now. You can bring it back and maybe you can go, you know, double it up to six times a game that you do that. But for right now, they've lost the soul of who they were last year, which Mm -hmm. was this fun, crazy offensive juggernaut that everybody in the league is like, look at that. I mean, it's kind of like what we're looking at the Indiana Pacers right now and going, oh my goodness, that, that sure does look like fun. Everyone wants to go play in that, in, in that offense. And that was the Kings last year. And all of a sudden, they've lost sort of like a a direction of who they are.
2: Mike Brown said nobody's position on this team is sacred, which felt like changes could potentially be coming. Like, what do you think he meant by that?
5: Well, I think the biggest change that comes is that De'Aaron Fox steps back into the starting lineup and everybody like takes a step backwards. I mean, it is a big deal that, you know, De'Amonis Sabonis has to be the number one on your team for, you know, the better part of a week and a half now. And that means that just out of default, almost it's that Harrison Barnes, now you're number two and that Ke- Keegan Murray or Kevin Herger and you're number three and you're number four and Malik Monk You throw in there. Like it does matter that De'Aaron Fox is gone and that you're, you're having to rely on guys that maybe aren't comfortable with where they have to be in your, in your offense or, you know, where they have to be as like part of your scoring group, but you know, again like changes. There aren't a lot of changes that can happen. Like, what are they going to do? Are they going to put uh, Chris Duarte in the starting lineup for for Kevin Herter? But to be honest, Kevin Herter hasn't been that bad the last two or three games. He was bad the first two games, but then he's he's slowly starting to come out of whatever it was that was a problem. And uh, so if if it's not him, then who is it? I mean, is Kessler Edwards going to replace Harrison Barnes in the starting lineup. Are you going to bench Keegan Murray? Like the answer to these, no, like Sasha Vazenkov is going to step in and take somebody's job? So, and, and certainly there's no way that we're going to see JaVale McGee start over Demonis Sabonis. So what are we talking about here? Like maybe it's your spot in the rotation. Uh, maybe Davion Mitchell, if he can't push the pace, maybe they do go to Colby Jones. Maybe they give it a different look. Someone who's young and like will run and 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 do things whatever they're asking to do, he's just saying yes, sir, and going and doing it. But at the end of the day, you know, like you, you got to keep this group together. it's it's early and they're having a hiccup here, uh, but you're still only two and four to start the season.
2: You think this roster is the same? Come trade deadline?
5: No, yeah, i don't I don't think so at all, especially if they don't wake up very quickly. Uh, like there are expectations here that have never been here before. And, uh, those expectations are going to play out in real time. Like if this team takes a huge step back and all of a sudden is, is scuffling and misses the playoffs or is fighting for the back end of the playoffs. I don't think, I don't think Vivek Ranadive and his group are, are ready for that. They've treated, uh, ticket prices like, you know, they, they flex this thing, you know, they've been waiting for a decade for this team to be good so they can bump ticket prices and all of a sudden, boom. Uh, ticket prices jump up. The last thing you want to see is this thing start to empty out towards the end of the season, and a bunch of finger pointing start to happen. So, I think they'll be aggressive. I think they'll be aggressive uh, at you know after December fifteenth. That's when, you know, you can you can move guys that you you signed during the off season, But the Kings don't have a lot of those players. Uh, I think later in December, around twenty 29th, is when a person like Harrison Barnes, who signed an, ex- an extension during the off season, uh, becomes trade eligible and you know again he it's not like Harrison Barnes makes so much money and that you know teams wouldn't take on Harrison Barnes like 17 18 and 19 million this year and the next two um, that that's an easily movable contract especially with the salary cap set to skyrocket again you're looking at about 12% of the salary cap that's a player that like teams understand as part of business in the NBA uh so i definitely think that they're going to be ac- active and You know, they clearly, they need that one more big piece or maybe two big pieces to get them into a conversation of something much, much bigger.
2: You know, who's been absolutely awful this year and not used at all is Pascal Siakam. He's on an expiring. Do you think he's that piece for the Kings, regardless of whether he's gettable or not? Because Masai is a, a total wild card. But do you think someone like him is that piece or is that somebody else
1: for you?
5: No, I mean, I think he would be uh, under consideration. He's a player that the Kings have, have liked uh, a lot in the past. But also, like, to stay with Toronto, the other guy is is O.G. Ananobi. That is the guy that I, I believe the Kings have tried to get multiple times. And they believe is, like, the defensive, like, son, uh, tone setter that they need. And uh, whether they can get him out of there or not, I, I don't know. Uh, the Kings do have, they don't have their 2024, well... If they make the playoffs, they don't have their 2024. Uh, if they they uh, miss the playoffs, then that that hold that they have on the first round pick it's lottery protected in 2024, 25, and 26. So they can't trade it until 2028. But they still have some assets that they can move. They have these these contracts like uh, a Kevin Herter or you know Davion Mitchell or uh, Harrison Barnes that you could package and and move. Um, I think they are, they have movable pieces and movable contracts, but it's, it's really whether or not they, they can pull the trigger on something like that. I, I like Siakam and in that situation, of course, you know, you'd move Keegan Murray over to the three and you'd figure out how to, you know, build around a different group, but I just don't think that Masai Ujiri is ever going to trade anybody. He'd rather let them expire and lose them like he did with Fred Bleet than to do the right thing and actually, you know, get an asset for his players.
2: Yeah, that's, that's a great point. I told Delo and Casey also uh, on your station that I wouldn't panic until De'Aaron Fox is back and you see what this team is for 10 games. For you, when is the time to really be concerned?
5: Yeah, I mean, first of all, we need to see when Fox is going to be back. You know, like we heard the reports, oh, we could play as early as Saturday. And then he was the first one to say, well, I haven't really heard that report. And that seems strange since it's about me. So... I- I don't know we need to see when Fox gets back and then what he looks like when he gets back. Uh he's a guy who's had a history of ankle injuries, although it wasn't this ankle that he had the grade 3 uh, a few years ago. But once he's back in the flow and this team is rolling, like I think you've got to give him 25 games. Like you don't want to be embarrassed uh like what happened on Monday night against against a marginal Houston Rockets team, not to be rude, but Like that team is still a long ways away from being like a a super competitive team. And to just walk in there and get slaughtered two games in a row and have Alper and Shangoon look like the all NBA player and not DeMontis Sabonis, like that's an issue. But again, this, this team is predicated on two stars that do very specific things. You take one of those stars out, you are going to have some struggles. I just don't think anyone thought it would be this kind of struggle this early.
2: Good stuff, James. Last question. What is your favorite vegetable?
5: Oh, I hate all squashes. I hate asparagus. I do like broccoli, tomatoes, a fruit, or I would probably go there. If I'm choosing something to put on my plate, it's usually green beans, you know? So like if I have a choice of like six things, it's usually that I don't like Brussels sprouts. I don't like the bitter, the bitter vegetables. That's an interesting question. I don't know. I, I do like if I could say tomatoes, I I grow a lot of tomatoes at the house and we do a lot of like tomato and burrata with basil salads and stuff. Yeah.
2: Good stuff. James, James ham, James, find him on odyssey on ESPN, 1320 the insiders with Kyle Madsen. Who's also a hoot. Uh, He gives you everything uh, straight up. No angel dust, gives it to you like without any filter and he's on the ground. Thank you so much for joining us, James.
5: Hey, anytime, Trista.
2: That's all the time that we have for this episode of the Heat Check. Special thanks to Keith Smith and James Hamm. Come back on Monday for an all-new episode and check out the feed for past episodes and mini-episodes which drop unexpectedly, like snowflakes from the sky or a loogie from the roof of a building. Do not forget to follow the Heat Check as we navigate the new NBA season. That means download, subscribe, tell your friends. If you know me personally and you haven't subscribed yet, why not? That's a great question. Why not? Even that stranger on the train who's buried in a book and they're walking down the sidewalk, reading that book, say, hey, psst, psst. A lot more effective if you just listen to a podcast and I have one right there for you. Follow us on social at this heat check and at Trista Crick on Instagram, TikTok, and Twitter. See you next time, folks.